I'm Carrie. And I'm Amy, and you are listening to The Perks of Being a Book Lover. This is a show where two friends chat about books and reading with another book lover. We find book lovers everywhere, and talking about books is one of our favorite things to do besides having brunch with my daughter who just left for college in August. I think she wanted the free meal, but I cherish the time with her and pride some info about school from her that I don't get from just texts. Very good. And we may be a little biased in thinking that reading people are the coolest people. This week, we had a great time talking about book people problems with our guest, Bailey, host of the To Read List podcast. She doesn't work alone on the podcast. Her co-hosts include her brother, Andrew, her friend, Toby, and her husband, Dylan, who is the sound recordist. Through this podcast, they attempt to get through all the books on their shelves. Every other week, they each read a book from their collections that is randomly selected. And at the end of the episode, they have to decide if their books stay on their shelves or whether a new home needs to be found, like a free little library. So this episode is filled with discussions of problems that are particular to book lovers, like how many books is too many? Can you have too many ebooks downloaded on your Kindle? Should we keep all the books we read? Is DNFing okay? You get the picture. We talk all about book neuroses on this episode. It's like a book group therapy session this week. But first... So you and I and three friends from our book club went to see a local production of The Haunting of Hill House. Chicken Coop Theater. Which is run by a former guest of ours, Jason Cooper. It was a lot of fun, but there was a little bit of an issue in the beginning. This whole episode is, it's it's all about issues, isn't it? It's like book <laughs> issues, and then we had theater issues, and then we have Google Calendar issues to discuss. It's sort of an episode about how Amy messed up this time. <laughs> I had purchased online the tickets for our group. This problem has never happened to me before, but when we get there and they scan our tickets, I have purchased tickets for the week before. I have purchased tickets for the wrong date and it's very embarrassing. That never happens to me. I always double check. I will say at the time when I purchased them, I did feel like the website was like a little glitchy. So I'm going to totally throw the Kentucky Center under the bus. (laughs) It was all their fault, not my fault. Well, here's the thing, Amy, you can't take all the blame because I mean, it wasn't just you. There were how many, four other people? (laughs) who went with you and none of us checked the tickets either so none of us noticed okay that's how much we trust you (laughs) the good news is we were still able to see the show because i don't know if they had some no shows i don't know what happened but there were just enough seats for us so we were still able to see the show and i am so glad to be able to see live theater again same Okay, (laughs) moving on. (laughs) Since this is the rag on Amy episode, (laughs) again, this goes back to Amy brings the enthusiasm and I bring the practicality. So (laughs) we've had a scheduling, not issue, but okay. So we have our normal book club and then, you know, Amy started going to the Speed Museum book discussion group. And so now I am going. And so we meet in November. That's two books on our list to read in November. Well, then we scheduled an author that we're we're recording with this week who wrote a memoir and it's a very good memoir, but it's like 400 pages long. So we've been reading that 
Oh, and then Amy scheduled us to be on another podcast and we're having to read a book for that. And so I have been a little bit, a little, just a little complainy <laughs> about how much reading I'm having to do. Okay, so here's the thing. I have agreed to all of these. So it's not that I, I am being forced totally against my will to read these things. In principle, I have agreed to, you know, participate in the book clubs and to do the podcast. But I'm like, I just want to read what I want to read. I'm having a little bit of like. She's having a temper tantrum on me. A little bit. And you will enjoy it while we're doing it. I will. You know you will. I will. But then you tried to, you were like, can we interview this other person? And I'm like, that means another book for November. Absolutely not. Over my dead body. (laughs) Well, that's fair. All is too many, good. Too many books. And then probably what will happen is all the books that I want to read, I'll start them and be like, meh. So that's probably what will happen because stuff like that always happens. All right. Since we're dogging on Amy, let's talk about <laughs> our, go- our shared Google Calendar. <laughs> For people who use Google Calendars, if you share it with other people, like I have my own Google Calendar. I have a Google Calendar I share with my husband. Carrie and I have a shared Google Calendar where we put all of our podcast events on there. Somehow I got my Google Calendar. The default has suddenly become the calendar that Carrie and I share together instead of my own personal calendar. I did not realize that. And so I've been loading my calendar up with different events And then Carrie pointed out to me that maybe there was an issue. So I was looking on Google Calendar and I'm the same. I have a calendar I share with my husband. I have a calendar that I share with my husband and my daughter. Anyway, I know that you have a colonoscopy coming up. (laughs) She texted me and said, "Um, so you have a colonoscopy on November 12th. And I said, why, yes, I do. Did you not want to know about my colon scrubbing? I can't figure out how to change it. This should be easy, I know, but I can't figure it out. I need my husband to help me figure out how to get it back to myself because Carrie does not want to know all that stuff about me. I am glad we're friends and we know a lot about each other, but there are some things that I don't need to be privy to. Like, And now, and now all of our podcast listeners are privy to the fact that I have a colonoscopy. It's my first one that, you know, now they say once you turn 45 and I'm older than 45, I'm 49. So I'm like between that 45 and 50. And suddenly now I need a colonoscopy, which, you know, I'd rather not have, but I got to have it eventually. But then you're good for 10 years, I think. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I will say the worst part of the colonoscopy is the prep. Right. I mean, and and then when <laughs> yeah. I had mine done, the nurse did not think I was funny because they have these protocols of questions they're supposed to ask. And so she said something about, do, do you ever feel suicidal? And I was like, does last night on the toilet count? Oh, and she, she didn't think that was funny. She was like, I'm being serious. Oh, my God. I'm serious too, because I spent like a really long time on the toilet last night. <laughs> You never heard that story? No, I never heard that story. That (laughs) cracks me up. She must have been a really serious nurse because I would think that that would make somebody laugh. But Uh, yeah, apparently she she was not having my humor. And I was like, (laughs) well, I mean, it's just it's not awful, but it's just not fun. You basically, you know, you spend the whole day before getting prepped. You know, it's not fun. (laughs) And I am not a good patient. Like when I'm having to have a procedure done, I'm a little bit of a, can you bleep this out? I'm a little bit of a. 
p.m. <laughs> and so, hmm. yeah. So I took that as an opportunity to check some levity because I was kind of being a turd and uh, she wasn't having it. So let's get off the subject of colons and onto the subject of books. And before we start talking to Bailey, I just want to say that uh, as I was editing the episode, the last section, the three about me, I asked Bailey about some places that I could visit in Maine when I went, because we recorded this back in September uh, before I had gone on my Maine trip. And she told me three things. And I just want to say that I attempted to do all three things and I made it to two of them. And they were indeed great. The third one I tried to do, which was a bookstore that she mentions, I was not able to visit that bookstore because it happened to be closed. But I just wanted to let everybody know that I did, in fact, take all of Bailey's advice and it was good advice. Very good. Let's let's hear what Bailey has to say. Bailey from the To Read List podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. So this is a little bit of a thrill for me. For podcast listeners, when you listen to your favorite podcasts, you feel like you know the people that you're listening to personally. And that's the way I feel about Bailey today, because I have been listening to her podcast for probably a year, maybe more. And I feel like I know Bailey, but I've never met Bailey until just about 10 minutes ago. So (laughs) Bailey, it is so exciting for me to talk to you. I'm so glad you're with us today. That is awesome. I love to hear that. And I feel the same way about the podcast I listen to. So it's cool to be on the other side of that. (laughs) So give us the scoop on you. And what was your reading life like as a kid and a teenager? Well, I'm sure like a lot of guests on your podcast, I was just always a bookworm. There's pictures of me reading when I was a toddler. I would I would be the kind of kid that would go to the library after school and get a bunch of books and then read them on the bus home and then go to my room and read them uh, when I got home. I had one memory of being a kid and wanting to be playing paper dolls, but also reading The Witch of Blackboard Pond at the same time. So I called my dad and was like, can you please read me this book so I can also do the other thing I want to do? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> So I think it's just always been, you know, a part of me. And, you know, as you grow up and have less time to read, I think it faded out. But now that I'm an adult and have more time, it's just my favorite thing. So did your dad come up and do that? Yes, he did. That's awesome. <laughs> That's kind of like a precursor to an audio book. You just needed an audio book, really, playing know, in the background. So tell us about how the podcast that you co-host began. How did it start? What was the goal? Tell us all that. So how it started was uh, my husband and I had just moved to a new apartment. And in the move, you know, you're carrying all these boxes of books. And I'm thinking, why do I have over 100 books that I haven't read that are just taking up space in my house? And so as I was moving, I promised myself that any book I read, I was going to read. And then as soon as I moved into the new place, I went to a library book sale and bought 10 more books. (laughs) Of course you did. (laughs) And I was just like, I need to get this somehow in control. So my first thought was to pick one randomly and then do like a blog about it and write about it. But my husband smartly suggested that it might be good to do a creative project that wasn't reading and writing, which is what my day job was. So we came up with the idea for a podcast and I asked my brother and my friend Toby, who I know also have similar (laughs) problems of accumulating books to join me. And so every week we pick a book at random by choosing a 
number from a random number generator, which corresponds to the number we have on Goodreads for the book. And then I have to read it no matter what it is. And it's brought me to reading books that I might never have gotten around to otherwise. What did your friend and your brother Mm -hmm. say when you suggested that you all do a podcast together? They were excited. The first thing they said was, I don't want to edit it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I said, okay, I'll do all of that. All you have to do is be a guest. As we've gone on now, we're in our second year. We share the uh, work equally now, but at first it took a little convincing, but my brother has always had, you know, a Goodreads goal for the year, and it was something like 20 books, and he just never hit it. So this was his way of really motivating himself to read. And then Toby, my other co-host, he has more of an amorphous list in his head of books he wants to read. They aren't physical books. They're just theoretical list, I guess you would call it. And he just reads all the time voraciously. So I knew he would be interested, and they were excited, and it, it went well from there. And the premise of your podcast, it connects to what, you know, what we enjoy about books on our podcast is that either you can read a book and enjoy it and you can write about it and enjoy the writing of it, but talking about it with other people helps you understand the book on a level that you maybe are not going to get all, you know, on your own. And Amy and I are also in a book club and mm-hmm. there will be books that people come to the book club saying they hate it or they love it, or they have whatever feelings they have. And then other people bring up things and they're like, Oh, okay. Well that makes me feel a little bit differently about the book. So that whole sharing is kind of like the cherry on top, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. It's great to talk about it get different perspectives. And it's especially fun when one of us really loved the book and one of us really hated the book. And it's fun to debate. So one of the questions that I was going to ask you, which you you kind of answered, but I, I sort of want to talk about a little bit more because I've had similar issues. One of the things I was wondering is, is there a problem with having a too long to be read list? <laughs> or is the problem with having too many unread books in the house? Because I could see that both, depending on the person, could be problematic. So do you feel like your problem specifically was you were having to carry these books? <laughs> but do you have feelings about can a to be read list be endless, like go on for infinity? I think so. I don't really have a problem with the list itself. I think it's the physical books. And it's more like, I don't know, maybe just like a waste thing where it feels like I have bought this book, I bought it intending to read it right away. And then it just sits there for 10 years. And that feels different than like, abstractly saying someday I want to read Infinite Jest, you know, it feels different to have it staring at me every day, as especially as as my list has gotten out of control. And once I put them all together, they take up maybe a third of my shelf, which is insane. So I think to me, it's more about the physical books um, and that I can make a list of any dream books I want to read. But to me, it's about sort of holding myself accountable to the books I buy. I used to keep every book that I'd read. If I took the time to read it, then it had a spot on my bookshelves. And then I don't know. I think it may be Marie Kondo or I don't know. Like, I I guess I kind of got into, do I love this? Like, does it spark joy? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And there are some books I keep because I teach them. And Mm -hmm. so I, even if I'm not using them right this second, a year from now or two years from now, I'm going to use them. So I got rid of a ton of books that I had read 
but that there's no huge compelling reason. And then I was like, I'm not going to buy anything new. But then the problem with that for me was that then I would be, okay, what am I going to read now? And I had (laughs) nothing on my shelf. And I went to Amy's and she was like, oh yeah, I've got all these books that if, you know, if I'm in a certain mood for something, I can just go pick it up. And so now I'm sort of like, okay, I need to have at least some books. It's a very fine line to kind of straddle between, you know, having enough books that if you need a book, you have a a good enough selection of books to pick from, but also not having so many books that they're taking up all your space. Yeah, absolutely. I totally understand that. And that's why part of our podcast is we decide whether or not after we finish the book, we're going to keep it. We've hung on to it for 10 years or whatever, finally read it. Are we actually going to keep it on our shelf? It's it's a hard question to answer. It's why do I keep a book? Why do I you know donate a book? But I had the same thing where there are books that I read that maybe I didn't even enjoy that I still had. And I thought, why, why am I keeping this? I wouldn't even recommend this to a friend. So I now keep books that either I would read again, I'm I'm probably never going to read them again, but theoretically, or I would give them to a friend to read, or I have this vague idea of having like a library of classics for my daughter for when she gets older, maybe because I grew up in a house that had a lot of books, but that I think it's important to have Moby Dick on the shelf in case she needs it for school or in case she's curious. (laughs) She probably will never. really big spider. (laughs) <laughs> exactly in case she's really curious about whaling ships I don't know but anyway, uh, that's another reason why I keep it but if it's a book like more modern books that I've read and didn't like I can then finally give them away so yeah it, it, that's definitely something I consider I was like you, Carrie, for a long time. This was very soon after I graduated college with an English degree, and I thought I had to keep every single book I ever read. And then, you know, you move a few times and you realize that's not really really practical. (laughs) But the house I'm in now, I've been in for years. I don't have a problem with having lots of books in my house. That doesn't bother me too much because I have them everywhere. But I sort of have this existential crisis about thinking about that there are always be more books to read than we will ever have time to read in our lifetimes. And new books are being published all the time and will continue to be. So if I think about that too much, it kind of stresses me out a little bit. (laughs) But most of the time I don't think about it. Do you ever think about that? And are you sort of like a panic about it or a chill about it? I do think about that. In some ways, it's nice to think, oh, well, I'll never run out of anything to read. There'll always be something more. When they're staring me in the face, that's kind of harder. Uh, because, for example, like when I started the podcast, I had 125 on my shelf. And two years in, I have 136. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it does just feel like Sisyphus. It's like, this is never going to be over. Um, but, I mean, I guess that's a good problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't like to think about it, but yeah, I think it, strangely, it is something that I think a lot of bookish people relate to, though. And people that don't read don't understand it, but bookish people are like, yeah, yeah, the books just keep piling up. I used to have this thing, it sort of relates to this existential idea. Like when I was 19, I went, it was with a group of students and one professor, and we went to England and Ireland and Wales, and we read like, every Thomas Hardy book and we Mm -hmm. read like a ton of James Joyce love Thomas Hardy James Joyce not so much well anyway the professor made us stay up all night well that was the plan stay up all night and read Ulysses out loud 
Okay. Well, the professor at some point decided that he was going to go to bed. And so the rest of us were like, screw this. You know, we're not staying up all night to read this. So I, so I never finished the book. And if, you, if you're not familiar with Ulysses, the book is written, it's like totally stream of consciousness. I had no idea what was going on. And so for a long time, I kept the book. You know, maybe if I ever and bedridden and I, I have nothing else to do then I'll pick up this book and I'll read it and then at some point I went you know if I ever get to the point where I'm bedridden and I'm like terminally ill why would I want to in my last moments or my last months why would I want to read this book that is so stupid <laughs> so I consider these questions my Ulysses questions that I've had a similar thought that it's kind of funny because I was thinking like, oh, you know, if there was ever like a natural disaster and I was trapped in my home, I would have a lot of things to read. But this year has kind of been that. <laughs> and instead of reading what I have, I've just gotten more. So I don't know. I <laughs> Who knows? Okay. So I want to know. So we're talking about real physical books, like on your bookshelf. But how yeah. do you feel about ebooks? The books you discuss on your show are the real books on your real bookshelf, but do you also have a to read list on your Kindle or do you listen to audiobooks? I do read audiobooks sometimes. I don't really read on my Kindle because I work in a bookish field and when I am reading for work, it's on my Kindle. So ah. I think I associate it with work. Um, and so I like to have that physical copy. I have in the past, but it's just not my go-to. With that said, it would be nice. You know, I've been trying to get my hands on a copy of the new Sally Rooney book and I can't. And it would be great to just get the ebook. Um, but yeah, that's not really my thing. I do read audiobooks. On our podcast, we like to say read audiobooks versus listen to audiobooks because we have a blind listener who wanted to make it clear that reading audiobooks is reading, not Absolutely. just listening. So, And so I do read audiobooks sometimes. I do that more when I want to get something done, like a puzzle or a craft project or cleaning the house at the same time. Kind of like the Witch of Blackbird Pond example. <laughs> <laughs> this was fairly recently a conversation we had because I, I'm a minimalist at heart. I don't like a whole lot of stuff. And so I'm, I think I'm even worse about ebooks than I am about real books. But like ebooks, I do not like to buy a lot of ebooks because there's something that bugs me about the idea of having like 500 digital copies of books, even though they're not taking up any space, <laughs> like on my shelves, it's like they would take up space in my head because I would always know that there's this category of books that are just sitting out there waiting for me to be read. But Amy is like, I don't know, how many books do you have? Well, kind of backed off. I went a little crazy over <laughs> the pandemic. I used to never read ebooks. I didn't like reading them. And then <sighs> over the pandemic, our library was closed for a while. Now, you know, obviously I have, I don't know how many books I have on my shelf. I probably have 200 or more books, actual books on my bookshelf. But for some reason I needed an ebook or <laughs> I needed a book from the library. I don't know. But I started seeing these deals on ebooks. Like I would download one a day. It was like a little phase I went through. I'm over it now, but I have a lot of books on my e-reader and it would drive Carrie nuts, but they're nice. They're there. If I need a, you know, sometimes I forget what's on there though, because they're not staring you in the face like a real book is. Yeah, I think we all went through something with the pandemic where it's like you have to get through it in whatever way we can. Yeah, I bought a lot of books and I bought a lot of 
embroidery floss and puzzles or whatever I needed to do to make myself feel better. So I can definitely relate to that. I I think I just don't like looking at the screen. It gives me a headache a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that. I had to get special glasses, I realized. Yeah, the blue light glasses um, because I was getting headaches a lot. And so that did help. Good tip. I was looking through your podcast. I was listening to the one about Weathering Heights because I'm I'm teaching Weathering Heights this year to my high schoolers. So I'm going to assign them to listen to that podcast (laughs) episode. But I was looking through some of your episodes and I noticed that you have several about books that I was not able to finish, like Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy and Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell by Susanna Clark. And so... I wanted to know, have you ever DNF'd a book and why not those two? (laughs) (laughs) I love that question. First of all, I'm so honored that I'm part of the curriculum. That's amazing. I used to be a high school teacher and I don't know, that's so exciting to be a lesson plan for the day. (laughs) Have I ever DNF'd? I have, but books that I've DNF'd that I still intend to read are now part of my list for the podcast. An example would be White Teeth by Zadie Smith. I just couldn't get through it. And I was like, no, I want to commit and read it. And then it got pulled for the podcast and I had to. So it's hard because I I listen to other podcasts or other bookish people who say, you know, life is too short. If, If you don't like the book, you should just, you know, dump that book. But I have a really hard time doing that. I need to be better. Maybe it's like the perfectionist student in me that I want to finish it. But usually by the time I get to the end, I haven't gained much except actually finishing it. The examples that you gave, I actually really liked Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. It took me um, a while to start it. But then once I started it, I was into it. Blood Meridian (laughs) were it not for the podcast, I think I would have have tossed that one. And in order to get through it, I had to read the audiobook and be doing a puzzle that I really loved. And then I did have that thought of like, you know, what's the point? Why am I reading it? In this case, I thought that this is for the listeners. For me to explain to the listeners of the podcast, is it worth getting through it? So I don't know, as a listener of the podcast, how would you feel if I came back and said, like, I decided not to finish this one? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know, because I I struggle. I have a hard time DNFing books, too. I read half of Jonathan Strange, Mm -hmm. and and I was like, okay, what I'll do is just when I can't sleep, I'll read it, you know, (laughs) because I'll read other stuff, and then if I have a night where I just cannot fall asleep, I'll just pick this up and start reading. And I guess the thing is, like, just because a book is something that I can't finish doesn't mean that somebody else... Right. May not fit. And it fe- and I guess that's part of it. Sometimes I feel like if I DNF it, it's like I'm making this big judgment about a book, but that's just me. And and that could be, you know, whatever funk I'm in or or it's just not for me. Right. Uh, and probably if I was listening to a podcast and the person I was listening to said they DNF'd it, I probably wouldn't even try it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't want to turn people off too. Exactly. That's right. I also, I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I did have one magical time where I had DNF the book, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael Chabon. Mm -hmm. And then I picked it up again a few years later and loved it. So that one magical time made it in my head, like maybe this time you're going to really like, you know, a hundred years of solitude, but I have a hundred pages to go. I've had it for like the past 10 years. So I don't know. We'll see, but other people really love it. So it feels like I should give it a shot. I'm one of those people. If I get halfway through, I have a trouble DNFing, but if I just read a chapter or two, 
or, you know, well, okay, let's say like 50 pages. If I go 50 pages and it's just not appealing to me, I feel like I can drop it and I don't feel like I have gotten that far into it. And, and I'm able to do that. You know what I'm thinking? This whole time we're talking about books, man, book people have some weird rules that we make up for ourselves. And like, it, it's just funny to me. It's like, it's just reading a book. But for myself, I'm like, I have to do this. And I, I know a little it's bit so crazy. weird. One of the things that I appreciate about your podcast is that you all are very honest with your reviews. And I feel like some book podcasts or some book blogs, things like that, it's not that they're not honest, but they don't want to offend a writer, which I understand why. Or they maybe just won't mention a book at all if they didn't like it. A writer has spent lots of time, many years writing whatever it is that they've written. And it's sometimes you don't want to squash their dream. Mm -hmm. But like you were saying, Carrie, like not every book is for every person. But with your podcast, you have to read the book and then you have to say what you thought about it and whether that's good or bad, but you give reasons why. And so I'm just wondering if you ever struggle with that issue. Yes, that's a great question. It's something, honestly, I didn't really think about. From the beginning, I wanted to be honest. And then one day we posted a review for the book Sadie by Courtney Summers. And she responded, I think we tagged her on Instagram and the author responded. Luckily, we had given her four out of five stars. And she said something like, oh, same as you gave Anna Karenina. I'll take that. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) But in that moment, I was thought, oh, my gosh, you know, authors could actually see this. So that did affect the way I thought about it. Well, I try not to dig too deep and be too mean to living authors. But, you know, if it's like, oh, what was that book that my brother hated? He hated Robinson Crusoe. I think it's okay. I think that author won't mind from his grave if we trash that (laughs) But, you know, it is funny because maybe it's a gender thing too, because I feel less impetus to be mean. And I think my male co-hosts are more likely to be honest and just be like, I, I hate, I hated that book. But yeah, we try to at least say something good about the book. And theoretically, if it's on our shelves, there's something good about it. But yeah, it, it does make you think like, what, what is my goal in trashing this book? One of the things that Amy and I have discussed sometimes is I think it's an editorial thing where a story might be good and it could have been better, but It's kind of like we feel like there's a certain responsibility of the editorial to help guide or to catch things. And so I think about that and I'm like, well, if it got through editorial, is that the author's fault? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Because, you know, sometimes there are things I'm like, oh, I would have directed them in a a different way or to clean this up or whatever. And so I can't help but think of that, right? That maybe there's something that the author would have changed, would have improved on, but they weren't directed in that way. Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me think that sometimes when I'm reading an author, their first book, I think, is much better than the 10th book. I think once they're an established author, sometimes the editor kind of just lets them do whatever Mm. they want. And sometimes it's better to, you know, be, be guided by your editor a little bit. So I can understand what you're saying. So you mentioned that your co-hosts are male and the fact that you maybe don't feel as comfortable giving an honest review as they might. So are there other things where you feel like there's a difference with how you react or you look at things as a female reader versus how they look at things as male readers? I think the biggest thing is that I'm having a hard time articulating to my co-host Toby like what a YA novel is. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like he wouldn't consider like Catcher in the Rye a YA novel, but to me it definitely is. You know, he thinks of YA as like, you know, young kids in love, love triangles. And I have to explain that, no, it's like any sort of coming of age thing. And I think that might be gender related, that certain books are categorized as for girls or for boys. And I think my co-hosts sometimes want to like everything and want to say that they like every genre, but really they only like, you know, this specific version. I think that's the only real thing. I don't know. I think I, I try not to take myself as seriously. I think sometimes they're very serious about the reviews, but I don't know if that's a gender thing. That might just be a personality thing. As somebody who is a listener of your podcast, I really enjoy the banter that you have with your male co-hosts. And it's something that makes yours different than a lot of podcasts that I listen to because quite a few of them are females, Mm -hmm. females talking to other females. And so there's just a different dynamic and a fun banter that that you have on your podcast that I don't necessarily see in others. So I I enjoy that just for what it's worth. Thank you. That's great. My husband, I mean, we talk about books he reads and I read, but he always reads science fiction. Like, that's what he reads. And I like science fiction, but sometimes it's kind of hard for me. There's a limit to how much discussion I want to do with my husband because (laughs) I'm like, you read the same, you know, do your co-hosts, do they tend to get themselves like a certain genre more than than another? I mean, like, is there a breadth of of reading that seems to have a, a gender component? Yeah, I think I tend to definitely go for more YA drama books, whereas my brother, he kind of does more nonfiction. Sometimes he'll do, I guess, more heady things. And then Toby, he's like my our sci-fi fantasy person. And he's always talking about this giant fantasy series that he's reading. And that's not necessarily for me, but I like that we can each bring our own genres. And I think our listeners sometimes identify with one of us and think like, oh, I'm more of a Toby. I really like, you know, the wheel of time or whatever, you know, or I really want to talk about John Green. I'm more of a Bailey, you know, so I think it's good to have a a mix. So you work in a bookish field professionally. Does reading for fun and reading for work ever feel like too much? You know, sometimes Um, (laughs) for my day job, I have to read three books a week. And those books are obviously assigned to me. I don't get to pick them. So if it's a tough week of very intense nonfiction books about, I don't know, like the war in Afghanistan or something, and then I also get assigned a book for the podcast that's also very dry, that can be hard. And it can feel like, oh, I don't ever get to anything I want to read. But usually the books I read for work tend to be just fine. And it's just, you know, my eight hours a day. And at the end of the day, I can pick up my own book for fun. It's more when I get assigned something for the podcast, like, you know, Anna Karenina or Count of Monte Cristo that I have to read in two weeks. And it's like, that's my whole life. Then I'm starting to think like, why am I doing this? This isn't very fun. (laughs) So the section of the show where the books are picked for the next episode is called The Choosening, which I sort of love that term whenever you all say The Choosening. But are there books on your bookshelf that you really hope that go through The Choosening sooner rather than later? (laughs) That's a great question. 
There are certainly ones I'm afraid of when they're going to be picked, <laughs> when they're going to choose. I have one book that's in French that I saved from college. I'm oh, afraid. God. <laughs> I don't know why I still have it. Um, I have Les Miserables, you know, which is, I don't know when that one's going to be picked. But then there's ones, you know, every week we talk about our quote shame, which are new books that we've added to the, to the list. And so anytime I have shame, I'm excited, hoping that those will get picked because it's something theoretically that's like right in my mind right now. So I'm more excited for those. And then if I get one that's, you know, under 200 pages or is like written for children, then I'm like, oh, this will be nice and easy. But sometimes I'm really surprised. Like one thing I love about the podcast is liking books that I wouldn't necessarily have thought I would. Like The Hunchback of Notre Dame, I actually breezed through. I really liked that. I really liked Dracula. And I might never have actually gotten to those uh, without the choosing. So, you know, I have ideas of how it's going to go. And then it doesn't always go the way I think. If I were you, I would try to somehow sneak that French book out of your TBR (laughs) and the guys will never know. (laughs) We won't tell them. Well, the way that you end your show, each episode is with a game that you play at the end and the games change each episode. And I think Andrew, one of the co-hosts, he comes up with the games. I mean, he makes them up himself. Yes. Every time. So explain why you decided to do that in your podcast. Are you all big game players? Well, we are game players and we're very competitive, which I think is why we like to do it. But it just kind of came naturally where when we were, I'm not sure if you guys did this as well, when we were you know, recording test episodes, we thought we needed to have something light at the end after we've done all these reviews and the facts about the author. And I think the first time my brother just, you know, on the fly had us guess something and that became a fun game. And then we thought, oh, we should do this every time. And my brother being my brother, Andrew is just so creative and has such high expectations where every week it has to be something different. It can't be the same. So yeah, he's the one that that comes up with them. I've had to come up with a game once, maybe twice, and it's more difficult than you'd think. It, it seems like it would be really hard. Yeah. I am always impressed yeah. um, that he comes up with a game. So a I, game. Just, I just like playing them now. <laughs> They're very fun. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just in awe of his creativity with that. I'm sitting here planning, like I'm going to my mother-in-law's to eat dinner after this. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I can get back to that Wuthering Heights episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely recommend if you like listening to bookish podcasts to give the to read list podcast a try. We are going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to Bailey about what she's actually reading. We are back with Bailey and with Carrie and uh, Carrie, you said in our last episode that you have a pile of books that is taller than your nightstand sitting beside your nightstand. So I want to know which of those you have picked to talk about today. (laughs) None of them because I read something else. (laughs) Oh man, I can relate. (laughs) So I did something a little bit different. Normally when I talk about a book, I just wing it. As most people, if they've listened to it, they'll go, she's totally talking off the top of her head. And that's usually what I do. But the book that I'm going to talk about, I had to write down what this book is about because for me to try to explain it is really difficult. 
so I teach. And so I had gotten a gift card to Barnes and Noble, I think. And so what kind of person would I be if I didn't use a nice gift card that a, a loving, caring student and their family gave me. So I bought A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. Here's why, why did you buy that particular book? You just liked the cover or you'd heard something about it? Uh, I think I had heard something about it and the cover's really pretty. Okay, so here's this, the thing. This novel weaves two stories together. So it's the story of now, a teenager in Japan who is considering suicide. And then it's also... The story of Ruth, who lives in British Columbia, and she's an adult writer, so kind of autobiographical, an adult writer who is struggling to write following the death of her mother. And so a lunch pail washes up on the beach where Ruth lives, and inside is Nal's diary and a watch and several other little kind of tchotchkes. All right, so Ruth starts reading Nal's diary, and that sort of puts her in a bit of a time loop. So the Fukushima nuclear disaster has happened and items have been washing up on the beach from Japan. So Ruth is wondering, is now still alive and was getting the lunchbox? Was that an intentional act? So did now deliberately put the diary and watch in the lunch pail and then put those into the ocean, like a message in a bottle or was it accidental? And then she goes on, she's, she's wondering, is now still alive? Is now's father still alive? So the novel is all about time. And as I was sitting and writing this, I had never said out loud to myself the character's name, now. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you, is it like N-O-W? How is it spelled? N-A-O. N-A-O. Okay. Okay. All right. So the novel's all about time. And at one point in the story, Ruth herself seems to jump along points in time and change the course of Now's life. Or maybe that was a dream. Or is Ruth just kind of zoning out and, you know, she's dealing with writer's block and she's dealing with grief. And so maybe she, she's just sort of having like a depression and she's not paying attention. All right. So this book, the closest thing I could relate it to it's almost like a literary version of Inception where the reader isn't always 100% certain of what's going on, but you really want to keep reading and find out. And so when I first looked at this book and started reading it, I read it as a tale for the time being where time is a noun and being is a verb, a tale for the time being, as in a tale for right this second. But the book can also be read as time as an adjective and being as a noun. So a time being, a tale oh. for mm. the mm. time being as a person, right? Because we're all time beings. We all exist in this thing called time. So again, it touches on time. It's kind of freaks your brain out a little bit, but it touches on so many things. It touches on bullying behavior in teenagers parent suicide attempts, Alzheimer's disease, family histories and the choices that they make, ecology, Buddhism, and what makes life worth living. And that is probably the most put together review you're ever going to hear me talk about, but I had to write it down because there was no way I was going to be able to explain that. Just Wow. Yeah. So, so you liked it? I did like it. I think I gave it four stars. So, I mean, I didn't give it five stars just because 
Like, I really enjoyed it. For me to give a book five stars, I have to like, love it and want to marry it and, you know. Right, right. That kind of thing. You know, I, w- I think I was thinking that it was like a brand new book, but it's not. It's like from 2013. So it's been around a while. Well, I know that the movie Inception is like one of your favorite yeah. movies. And so you saying that this book reminds you of that movie, that's a huge plus for it. Yeah, definitely. Somebody might listen to this and think, oh, it's going to be confusing. There is only this one part, the part where I said it seems like Ruth jumps along points in time. That is like this tiny little part in the book. The rest of it, you know, so people who don't like perspectives changing in books, it's not confusing. You know, one chapter will be from now's perspective and one chapter is from Ruth's perspective. So it's not like you're confused until this one tiny little point. And then it sort of resolves itself. You know, after you read that, you're like, what just happened? But that's not how you're feeling the whole entire book. I, I've never read a book like it. It was it was just super interesting. So hmm. highly recommend. Hmm. Very good. Bailey, what are you reading or have been reading? For fun, I just picked up the book Poison for Breakfast by Lemony Snicket, mm. which just came out. Um, Lemony Snicket is most known for his series of unfortunate events books. But this one is for adults, and it's a little short philosophy book. I think it's like 130 pages, very small pages. And the concept is Lemony Snicket is investigating a murder, but it's his own murder. (laughs) So it starts with he eats his breakfast, and then he gets a paper under the door that says, you have just eaten poison for breakfast or something. (laughs) And then he has to investigate what's going on, and it gets into philosophies of the meaning of life and all of these different things but it has the sort of fun quirky wit of lemony snicket so i i'm really enjoying it so far i'm about halfway through and it holds a special place in my heart because in my wedding we had a reading a lemony snicket reading so (laughs) (laughs) so it's fun to have that That's awesome. I love the series of unfortunate events. So now you have me intrigued. What kind of quote from a Lemony Snicket book would you have in your wedding? You know, my husband Dylan found it. um, And it was, I think there was a book called like Letters to, I'm forgetting the name, maybe Rosalind or something. And it was Lemony Snicket writing to his love. And it's like, I will love you until blank, blank, blank. But it's very funny. Like, like, I love you like the harpooner loves the whale and the whale <laughs> likes the taste of the harpooner's flesh. It's, it's like funny like that. And so it, it had a nice mix of sweetness and humor, which I think is our relationship. Cool. <laughs> Very cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I didn't know that he wrote. Well, you said this is his first book for adults. I think so. I think so. Um, it, and it just came out. But it sounds like it has the same kind of style that the middle grade books do. Yes. Would you say? Yes, absolutely. Well, Amy, mm-hmm. what have you been reading? Well, both of the things that you all read seem to have like this metaphysical kind of thing going on. I read a memoir. I read a book that came out earlier this year. It came out in April, I think, and was a very buzzy book on social media for a little while. And I heard about it on another book podcast I listened to called The Book Riot Podcast. And they played a clip of the audiobook. And the book is called Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner. And when I listened to the podcast and they played the audiobook clip and the author narrates it, her voice just really drew me in. And when they said that it was a foodie memoir, I was sold because I love myself a good foodie memoir. So the title refers 
to H Mart, which is an actual Asian food market chain of stores that are found outside larger cities in the U.S. So I love a good foodie memoir, and this book does touch some of those issues, but this isn't solely a foodie memoir. So Michelle Zahner is biracial. She has a Korean mother and a white American father. She was born in Seoul, but she grew up in Oregon. And she's also the creator and lead singer of an indie rock band called Japanese Breakfast. So I am totally uncool, and I had never heard of this band. And it's the memoir of Zahner's experience growing up with a difficult and complicated relationship with her mother. But in talking about her mother, you cannot separate that from talking about the Korean culture and food, because that was the one way that Michelle and her mother bonded. In fact, Zahner calls it the unspoken language between us. So I don't think that it, this is an uncommon experience. I think, you know, this is why people always want turkey and stuffing on Thanksgiving is because that's what their mother or their grandmother served. I kind of hate Thanksgiving food, so I'd love to do something different, but my kids are adamant that it stay the same. So I think that we often associate home with food. But in this case, I think the author felt that food was one of the only things that connected she and her mother. So when Michelle was just a few years out of college, her mother was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And she decided to go home and help take care of her mother. And this is a period of time in Michelle's life where she felt like she and her mother were finally beginning to find a way back to one another after Michelle's turbulent teen and young adult years. But what you realize as you're reading this book is that the child taking care of their mother is kind of a complicated emotional thing, or at least for this family. Michelle wants to do things for her mother, like cook Korean food for her mother that her mother used to cook for her. And it's a role reversal. But her mother has a hard time allowing her daughter to take care of her in that way because her instinct is to always to protect her or to provide for her. And her mother's more willing to let an older Asian friend come to the house and take care of her. So there's another passage in the book that I thought was just very telling and I think maybe a very universal thought. She writes, there was no one in the world that was ever as critical or could make me feel as hideous as my mother. But there was no one, not even Peter, and Peter's her husband, who ever made me feel as beautiful. And I thought about this line a lot, thinking about my own relationship with my mother and my relationship with my teen daughter. And I just think that mother-daughter relationships are complicated. So after her mother's death, Zahner clings to her mother's memory through food. And she decides to learn to make the food that her mother made through a Korean YouTuber. And she starts making jars and jars of kimchi and she buys a kimchi fridge. So I would say that this memoir is filled with descriptions of food and how it impacts the life of this author and her family. But it's really more about a relationship. And I think it's interesting to note that Zahner has a degree in creative writing. So it's not like she just decided one day to write this memoir, and she suddenly has all these wonderful writing skills and writes a blockbuster book. She had a little bit of a background in it beforehand, but I thought this was an excellent book. I gave it four and a half stars. Even though it's a food memoir and I do like a food memoir, it's also about a subject that I would normally avoid. I tend to shy away from books about cancer, but I'm glad that I read this one. It was totally worth it for its deep and sometimes painful look at a parent-child relationship and how food binds us to one another. Listening to you talk about that, it reminded me of uh, the most recent episode of Ted Lasso. That uh, don't tell me because I haven't watched it. I'll tell you the quote. I won't tell you anything more. But it was this hilarious quote, and what you said about that book made me think about it. Ted says, "Boy, I love meeting people's moms. It's like reading an instruction manual as to why they're nuts." 
And so I was like, that really works for this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because the author was saying, like, her mother would say, I'm the only one who will ever be completely honest with you. And so I think that's sort of what she's referring to as, you know, her mother being critical and could make her feel hideous. But also when her mother gave her a compliment, no one could ever make her feel more beautiful. I just thought that was a really touching quote. Anyway, I would highly recommend it. And it was great on audio. She's a good, good audio narrator for her own stuff. So. Awesome. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, Bailey can answer her three about me. We are back with Bailey. Bailey, you ready for your questions? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, you've got an adorable toddler age daughter. So what is one of the books you've discovered with her that you love? Well, it's been really fun to read books that my husband loved growing up that I had never read. And one of them, I'm sure everybody in the world knows it, but is The Monster at the End of This Book. I love that book. Starring Grover. And it's very funny because it's, you know, as you're reading it, it's like, don't turn the page. There's going to be a monster. And my daughter immediately gets it and is just turning the pages as fast as she can. And that's been really fun. So I think that that's the first one that comes to mind. You know, that book, I had that book and read it to all of my children. I was not familiar with it from my own childhood. I don't know why we just never had that book, but my husband had it when he was a kid and he introduced it to my kids. Yeah. Similar thing. I love, but I love that book so much. It's just so clever. Yeah. Okay. Question number two, you post some amazing puzzles on your podcast, Instagram page. Uh, And you talk about it on your podcast a little bit that you were a bit of a puzzle nut. So how did that happen? And where do you find these wonderful puzzles? They're not just like your typical ones that you get at like Walmart or something. Yes. The typical like sort of Thomas Kincaid drawings, that's, that's not my thing. I like the modern, brightly colored puzzles. I got into those because on Instagram, I saw, you know, a targeted ad for one once and I thought, hmm, I might like puzzles that, you know, this algorithm really gets me and I bought it. (laughs) And then as soon as I started doing it, I was hooked. I think I really like organizing things. It's sort of a mindful task that feels like you're accomplishing something when really, I mean, you're not. (laughs) But I, I really love puzzles. It's kind of my Zen place. And how I find them is I started watching, I'm a huge nerd, I started watching this YouTube series called Karen Puzzles, and it's a a woman who does puzzles. And so from watching Karen Puzzles, she recommended all of these brands, and that led me to figure out sort of what kind of puzzles I like. And like you said, with with book people, puzzle people have very specific uh, requirements. So that's how I got where I am. Okay. Okay. I have a quick question. Yes. So this is a... This is a show where you watch somebody do a puzzle? (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. (laughs) It's sped up. So it's like fast ASMR sort of watching it all come together. Uh, Okay. I was going to say, if if somebody had to watch me put put together (laughs) a puzzle, they would be sitting there for a long, a long time. Okay. So the last question is, I am getting ready to, in fact, tomorrow morning, head to Maine for the very first time on a vacation. And you grew up in Maine. So besides obvious amazing places like Acadia National Park, what is a place that you would recommend for a first timer to visit? Well, I love that you're visiting Maine. Um, I did grow up in Maine. I grew up um, on an island in Maine, which is very different from Los Angeles where I live now. Um, (laughs) 
I have a lot of different ideas depending on when you're going and where exactly you're going. But something that comes to mind is if you're going to go to Portland, everybody visits Portland Headlight, which is this big lighthouse. But right next door, you can walk to it is a park called Fort Williams Park. And it's really fun. It's beautiful right on the coast. You can go to the beach or you can go through all of these. They're like old fortresses from World War II when I guess Mainers thought that Maine was going to be invaded, so they had a fort ready to go. It did not get <laughs> invaded. But now, you know, kids play in the old, like, sort of abandoned forts, and that's really fun. You can also check out, if you're going a little farther north, you can go to Bangor and see Stephen King's house. Or there is a, I know you guys like to visit bookstores when you're touring. And in Kennebunk, Maine, in southern Maine, there is a bookstore called Mainly Murders that deals with thrillers and horror books and it's just that and I think that could be fun too oh that I'm totally doing that so we are flying into Portland Mm -hmm. and we're actually we've rented a car and we're going to drive up the coast over six days to Acadia and then back down and I think we're actually our first night we're staying in York Mm -hmm. and so we're going to go right through Kenny Bunkport so I'm going to stop and go to that bookstore and I'm very excited but I have to ask you about growing up on an island off yes. of Maine. So like, was it off of Portland or farther north? Um, it's a little bit north. I grew up in Yarmouth, which is between Portland and Freeport. Freeport's where the huge L.L. Bean store is. That's also a fun thing to go. It's open 24 hours a day, 365 oh days a year. Um, <laughs> and that's very fun. So, you know, it, growing up in Maine was great. You don't sort of realize how quaint it is until you leave and then come back. But Yeah, I grew up on an island and the island was connected to another island, which was connected to the mainland. So I could, you could drive to school, but it was sort of a longer drive. And at my school, the island kids were not as cool as the mainland kids. But, you know, it's one of those things that as an adult, you're like, wait a minute, the island kids are way cooler. But yeah, that's. Oh, wow. So I always like to read books of where I'm visiting. And so the one that I'm reading right now is a classic. It's back from the late 1800s. And I'm wondering if kids had to read this in Maine, but it's called The Country of the Pointed Furs by Sarah Orne Jewett. Oh, I've never heard of that. Really? Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, I think I did have to read her at some point when I in some of my American literature classes, but she apparently was a big influence on Willa Cather. Oh, wow. And that book is just about this woman who is a writer and she goes for the summer to this small coastal town in Maine. And it's about all the people who live there. It's very cute and quaint. And I'm really enjoying it. I think growing up, we would tend to, Maine kind of piggybacks off Boston for most things. Ah, So I think we would have to read like Nathaniel Hawthorne, but not Mm. so much Maine. So that sounds great. I'll have to add that to my list. (laughs) Maybe I'll hear it on your podcast one day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bailey, thank you so much for being a guest. We have thoroughly enjoyed talking with you and learning more about the To Read List podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. You can find the To Read List podcast on your favorite podcast player. And to see what the hosts are up to on their Instagram page, including some pictures of Bailey's favorite puzzles, go to at the To Read List podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. Follow us on Facebook at The Perks of Being a Book Lover or on Instagram at The Perks of Being a Book Lover pod to see what we're up to. 
For show notes for any episode, go to our website at www.perksofbeingabooklover.com. The show notes are also included on the description of the episode on your podcast player. We have a new updated website that has some fun new features, including listener book recommendations and pictures of our guests' pets. Come by and take a look. If you like what we're doing with the show, tell a friend. Word of mouth is one of the best ways to help people find us. Finally, a huge thank you to Forward Radio 106.5 FM, a grassroots community radio station in Louisville, Kentucky. You can find our show there, live or in archives, at forwardradio.org.